Welcome to Podagogies, a learning and teaching podcast at Ryerson University. I'm Chelsea Jones. And I'm Curtis Maloli. Today we're coming to you from the Allen Slate Radio Institute at Ryerson University. And our guest, our first Podagogies our guest, first guest ever, is Dr. Eliza Chandler. Eliza Chandler is an assistant professor at the School of Disability Studies at Ryerson. And one of the courses that she teaches is called Cripping the Arts in Canada. She's also the founding artistic director of Tangled Art Gallery, Canada's first gallery space dedicated to showcasing disability art and advancing accessible curatorial practices. Eliza, welcome. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. So you have a background in disability and art. What does it mean for you to bring disability art into the classroom? Well, as you mentioned, I do teach one course on disability art, the Grouping the Arts in Canada course. But I think in every class that I teach, I've always brought in visuals to animate topics and themes, even, you know, the photographs of the authors we're talking about. I think everyone does that. I really do think that arts can animate a complex idea in a simple way or animate a simple idea in a complex way in a way that maybe my lesson plans can't. And also I think as a professor we're always trying to bring in diverse and multiplicitous perspectives on a, on a, on a topic and in a disability studies classroom we're always trying to bring in the voices and perspectives of disabled people on a particular topic. And in doing that, trying to um, trying to bring in a multiplicity of those voices so we, so we understand that disability is not a singular experience, but, but a diverse one. So bringing in disability arts can, can do all that, can achieve all that. It can, it can bring in disability perspectives. It can diversify our understanding of disability. Um, and for all of those reasons, I think it's always really useful to have disability arts in the classroom as, as both um, a topic to, to talk about as well as a pedagogical tool. Yeah, you know, when, when you bring up um, the importance of bringing in a multiplicity of voices, I think that's so crucial. And it also reminds us that there's a multiplicity of experiences happening in our classroom right. that may be invisible to us or that we might not be um, used to thinking about. So, you know, when, I'm, when we're thinking about what an accessible classroom looks like, what an accessible classroom space looks like, and um, the kinds of ways that people experience our classroom spaces, uh, for you, when you think of accessible space, uh, what, does that, what does that mean? What, what an accessible classroom would feel like to me as a disabled student or a disabled professor is one in which um, my presence was anticipated and, um, and accounted for before I even arrived into the classroom. So I don't have to ask for visual descriptions if I need them. They're already built into the curriculum. I don't need to ask the professor or the university to change the classroom into a barrier-free space, it's already been thought of and, and done. Um, so when I when I roll or walk into a classroom, I can feel that my presence has been anticipated, and that makes me feel as though I'm a desired participant in that classroom. I think the other part of of preemptively creating a welcoming space is creating a space that. Um, is, is open and welcome to people's participation in, in creating accessibility 
beyond what we might have talked about. So Chelsea and I have talked about this a lot. Mm. I know Chelsea in your class. Yeah. You you read aloud the accessibility statement and you sort of engage the class in a co-design collaborative process, inviting people to add in um, anything that might not necessarily be included in, in the accessibility statement as you've designed it. Yeah, and I mean, I think part of those conversations um, speak to what you were saying before about bringing disability arts into the classroom. And part of the purpose of doing that as well is to actually bring disability into the classroom. And I wonder if you can speak a little bit to that. Like why, to your mind, why is it important to bring disability into the classroom? I think in, in all kinds of ways, the education system is built on expecting a particular kind of body, right? And and that's a body. And that, 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 that's a person who probably comes from a family where their parents went to university, their parents can afford to send them to university, where um, the names that come up in, in the canon of art history or, or politics are, are names that are familiar to people and maybe replicate a, a particular colonial understanding of how Canada was built or, or who the important figures are in our history. Um, and we know at Ryerson and other universities that those aren't aren't the bodies that we mo- even most typically see in our classroom. And I would say, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's not who I typically see in my classroom. And more than that, it, it I think building an accessible classroom means acknowledging that we don't always have have all all the answers. We can't preempt everyone's needs. It needs to be a collaborative process. Yeah, and you're beginning from a place of empathy, even in in the way that you're trying to uh, foreground that experience and then create space for students to contribute to it. Exactly. Um, I love that. I'm I'm also wondering then um, what kind of feedback you get from students. So, you know, you're even especially students that maybe uh, have very little experience dealing with disability. Um, is is this what, what's the feedback from your students? I think um, one of the ways that we make a classroom accessible, just like you were saying, actually, is you foreground what you're doing. You talk about what you're doing and why you're doing it. So it's not sort of built into the background of the class. It's you're actually making explicit. So, for example, as we were saying, I use art a lot in my classrooms, but I also expect that not everyone in my classrooms can necessarily see the artwork visually. So what I do as part of my curriculum is I offer an audio description or a visual description of the art that that it is shown in my classes and eventually um i invite students to offer audio descriptions of the work that i show in my classrooms and so the feedback that i get from that and other kinds of ways of making accessibility explicit in the classroom is that students um hopefully acknowledge that we that we um we create and we we describe visuals as an access point but and uh, another effect of that is that everyone is is invited to participate and make explicit how they how they interpret that work how they understand that work and and, and the pedagogy that emerges from that artwork and 
And I think by doing that collectively, that enhances all of our learning. So, so students are being invited into learning about an accessibility practice that hopefully they'll carry on into their their jobs and their you know everyday life, maybe even into other classrooms that they're part of. So they're learning a skill of accessibility. Um, but they're they're more importantly than that, they're um, I think being exposed to a disability cultural practice, um, which foregrounds um, disabled people as desired participants and desired leaders too. Mm. So I think also sort of layered on top of this is is an understanding that not everyone is anticipating or even desiring disability in a classroom. Not everyone wants to collectively or even individually sort of learn those skills of accessibility. And so I'm wondering if you ever face resistance to your ideas, um, even in the form of environment. So for example, we're sitting in a radio studio right now that is arguably not designed with disability in mind. Um, It's designed with a very normative body in mind, um, a body that it's designed in a way that anticipates someone will come in and refine their speaking skills behind a microphone, for example. So when you try to introduce these ideas in university spaces, do you ever uh, feel resistance to that? I teach mostly disability studies class, classes, so I think people coming into those classes anticipate things like accessibility and disability culture will be brought to the foreground. So I think my students generally really like how accessibility features in, in my classes. But I can imagine that other professors in other disciplines in the university might be hesitant to engage accessibility, especially if they might feel as they, though they don't know enough about it as they should or, or something like this. Um, and also the the idea that things should be fully accessible to, to everyone might be a, a little bit daunting. So as, as you as you raised, we're in the RTA studios. Um, uh, we're in a radio booth, so we might think about the way that this room is structured that, that doesn't necessarily anticipate a disabled person. And to um, invite a professor to think about how to change this environment to invite a disabled participant or a creator could be intimidating, but it could also be an opportunity to, to shape the way that, that radio culture is being delivered or being experienced. Yeah, it's such a wonderful point when you think about accessibility and accommodations. Um, there's sometimes this sense that um, there are some barriers that we just can't overcome. That this is um, this is a radio, uh, this is a, ra- a room for radio, and a student that uh, is deaf is going to have a really hard time um, contributing in this kind of space. Uh, but that's that's actually not true, right? When we think about um, how we could creatively reshape the way we're thinking about that problem. Yeah, absolutely. So instead, so if we have a deaf student in our TA. Um, we could say that that deaf student could do other tasks in the studio, but they couldn't be an announcer. But I think that assumption has enabled us one. 
sure they couldn't be an oral exa- announcer, but there's lots of other ways to introduce information and, and to report on news stories and things like this, and lots of other audiences that might want to, to know about events and news stories and things like this. So instead of relegating that deaf student to other tasks, we could rethink how information is being delivered acknowledging that people receive information in all kinds of ways. So while radio may typically be an auditory experience, we could also think about um, introducing things like vlogs or video blogs so that an, um, a deaf person could communicate information using their their first language, perhaps ASL, um, which is a visual language. And this also anticipates and recognizes that there are people living in radio land that that receive information, deaf people receive information through ASL and not through an audio form. Um, So so wouldn't that be incredible to actually have a, a podcast that was a visual podcast alongside with an audio podcast? So I think that's a nice example of how we could sort of approach a deaf student as creating a barrier or not being able to participate in, in all areas of radio life. Or we could approach it as, a, as an invitation to think creatively and expansively about what radio is and, and, and shape it in a, in a way that works for a diversity of users, of, of radio users. And I love that, too, because Ryerson, you know, we talk about um, the importance at Ryerson of being an innovation ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And when we think of innovation, it's often framed in the context of technology or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, this is an innovation, right? We're sending students yeah. into industries, um, and if they've had these kinds of experiences where their professors have reshaped the way they're even considering disability, that's going to have an effect when they go into whatever industries they happen to work in. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. So if you think of, for example, given the, giving the school fashion a really big accessibility budget, that might allow them to do something like um, buy a fully accessible body scanner that can imagine a diversity of body types um, for which they're designing their fashion. So instead of the typical mannequin or Judy doll, which replicates... Um, a, a body normativity standard in all kinds of ways, um, a fully accessible body scanner could invite wheelchair users, fat people, old people, disabled people, um, and that would that would allow them to, to create mannequins um, representing a diversity of body sizes and, and, and um, disabilities. And, and, th- and that would give the students the, the opportunity to... Z- design fashion for those bodies and and hopefully later go out into the fashion world thinking about different kinds of bodies as as um bodies that they desire to make fashion for right so if we give departments at at ryerson a bigger accessibility budget who knows the kinds of industry effects that that will have as well as creating um, a richer educational experience and, you know, um, giving Ryerson students sort of an edge up when we think about um, learning experiences. Absolutely. What an incredible opportunity there is there. Thank you, Eliza, for being here and for being our very first guest ever. 
Thank you. Yeah, it's been a sincere pleasure. Thanks again to everyone at RTA Productions, John Gerardo, Margarita Brighton, Shannon Cavello, and Paolo Fergiuelli. And thank you to the LTO for funding this project. And thanks to everyone who's listening. So get in touch with us at podagogies at ryerson.ca.